Hello, Woodworms. I'm Ray Defterius, and this is the Handtool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Have you ever considered whether there are alternates to the modern way of building a structure? Perhaps you feel nostalgic when reading about a roof raising or watching a historical film where this happens. Or are you just grappling with what it would be like to live in an alternate world where things are different from the way they are today? Today's book is about a very special brand of carpenters, CSF, Carpenters Without Borders, and the project that they constructed in Maine as their first North American project. We'll talk about them in a bit, but firstly, one of the readers wrote in with a suggestion and a big shout-out and thanks to James Honeycutt. James suggested that I cover off the format at the start of the episode so that listeners who have had a specific preference know this up front. Thanks, James. I'll try to incorporate that in future episodes. Today's book is from Joshua Klein and is available in hardcover from the Mortis and Tenon website for $50. There's also an accompanying film that is available for $25. There are no softcover or Kindle versions available, which makes sense given the nature of the book. Before I talk about the film, a quick thanks to Jonathan Sick. Jonathan, thank you for your contribution on Patreon. Support from people like you is both great at an emotional level, but also helps me afford the books for the show. Really appreciate that. For those of you who are interested in the film, I watched the film, which is just under an hour and a half. In fact, I'll claim to have watched it at the South African premiere, given that I watched it at home with the kids on the day of release. I considered high praise for a woodworking film that my three kids, aged between 8 and 12, watched it to the end, and then said at the end, Hey Dad, that wasn't so bad, which from kids watching woodworking is pretty high praise indeed. The film supplements the book in a nice way, in that the sounds and the process that can be conveyed in a film are quite different from what a book conveys. If you want to hear the crunch or the chop of an axe, or the sound a two-man pitsaw makes, the film extends the book. It's by no means essential to enjoy the book, but it almost tells the story from a different medium and a different angle. Back to CSF. The France-based Carpenters Without Border, or Charpentiers Sans Frontiers, brings together carpenters from around the world to work on historic restoration and social welfare carpentry projects. As I understand, it began as a way to preserve the cultural legacy of historical techniques in France and has grown into a worldwide force for good in terms of a unique set of skills that are no longer widely available, and as a result, they've been called to work on some exceptional projects. Every year, the group works on one project, and they alternate between projects in France and projects abroad. During the organization's builds in France, international groups of volunteer carpenters work together to utilize carpentry tools from past periods in history and to revive cultural methods of building. CSF volunteers share their carpentry methodologies from their country of origin with each other and learn from that. And the organization tries to focus on social justice projects. The story of CSF is intertwined in the book with the construction of their first North American project, the building of the Mortis and Tenon blacksmith shop. How would I describe the book? 
It's a good question because it's partially a project log that speaks to the actual construction of the building, partly philosophy, an appeal, I guess, in a way that urges people to mindfully consider another way of working. And finally, it's just an absolutely beautiful combination of vignettes and masterful pictures that give you a coffee table book that anyone could pick up and enjoy. I'll say here that the message of the book is made more profound to me by the simple fact that this is the life that the author is living. A conscious choice to do something that's not in the mainstream because of personal convictions. When I first read about the construction of the shop, I was reminded about a vignette concerning Bill Copperthwaite and his refusal to participate in a protest against the construction of a nuclear power plant. This angered many of his more liberal friends who felt that he needed to take a stand. And Bill's response was, My entire way of living is a protest against nuclear power because I'm not using the power from any power station. Or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing a bit from memory. I guess there's the wider view of democracy that includes the freedom to vote with your feet. I personally agree with the sentiment that if you want to protest against something, it's more powerful to live a viable alternate than to complain about what other people are doing. And I think this book is similar to Copperthwaite in that manner. CSF and M&T are both trying to live in a more authentic way that is definitely contrary to mainstream behaviour but they are not sitting on the sidelines shouting. They are simply getting along with something quite different. If this type of book appeals to you, I think you'll find another work of possible to be both easy reading and one that will leave you with some profound thoughts. However, I'd suggest that maybe even if you're not interested in the subtle sabotage of the book, there's still a lot to like. As I mentioned before, it's a large format coffee table kind of book and the photography is really great. Every now and again, I'll put a book together of photos of the kids on a special weekend or maybe to document a cycling race I've done with friends. I like printing them out because I find that online photos, while safe in the cloud, are virtually invisible. A printed photo book is the kind of thing that really helps you remember a special moment. If I grow up to be a very good photographer, another work is possible is the kind of scrapbook I would have liked to have put together for my own enjoyment. I know it's not possible for a photo to let you smell the sap in the pine chips, but as far as printed work goes, this is the closest you're going to get to being there. Also, there's a lot of axes in the book, and what's not to like about that? So let's take a look at the content of the book, so you can get a feel for what's included. The book starts with some info about CSF, and this leads nicely into the history of how the specific M&T opportunity got going including an interview with Will Gusakoff about the design of the blacksmith shop, the compromises, the intent, and what they were doing that would involve two different styles of carpentry. The actual build took place in the last week of August 2019, and this is the main focus of the book. But before we get there, we get a lot of background around the sourcing of the logs and horse logging, as well as where the stone came from and how that can be done in a different manner. I guess, like every woodworker knows, if we start at the beginning, the choice of material is possibly one of the defining elements of a project, and I enjoyed following the stories of how Joshua sourced his materials, and how serendipitously it all seemed to come together. 
This is also the part of the book that covers the philosophy and sourcing of the food that fed the crews. Chapter 3, evocatively called an extension of our arms, goes into the tools and the relationships that some of the craftsmen have with their specific tools of choice. If you were ever going to argue for a minimalist toolkit, the axeman seems to be the epitome of this. Literally the one tool craftsman. And yet the variety and preference in their tools is astounding. My two young boys and I spent a long time on the page with all the axes, choosing our favourite one. Both of the boys are now convinced that if a Viking longboat pulls up in our neck of the woods, they've got a firm view on their tool of choice. The actual process covered in the next few chapters seems to be a contradiction. On the one hand, the sense of joy and happiness and purpose, I guess, is clear in the work. On the other hand, there seems to be almost an inhuman speed with which the work progresses, and the precision that they work to feels almost at odds with how some of us may think of hand tool work or rural carpentry. Sure, it's at a different scale, and yet this feels to me like the same kind of precision you get when just really fine-tuning something with a well-honed chisel in the workshop. There's absolutely some lime skill on both the layout and execution. And there's a new tool that I'd never encountered before, the bisegu, and the big boys' toys that range from two-man saws to hand-powered auger machines. And while I say big boys' toys, there are enough women and a whole variety of ages to make it clear that this project is not the exclusive arena of one sex or an age group. One of my favourite quotes in the book comes from page 121. The important thing we need is not the machine. It's what I have in my hands, my skills. For many of the folks working on this timber frame project, the axe was and is the physical embodiment and symbol of these alternative possibilities that are available to us. The simple act of taking up tools is a trailhead to the path towards independence. With them, we wield the means to build the world we want to see. It is a small thing to learn to use an axe, but a life comprised of many such down-to-earth and constructive decisions is the framework for a new way of seeing the world, one rooted in empowerment, compassion and freedom. As one of the CSF carpenters, Florian Carpentier, put it, the axe is one of the most basic tools since humanity came into being. And with just these few tools, some of them I am able to make for myself, I can build comfortable, durable houses to shelter people. Many people are nowadays in a quest for meaning in their lives. They don't see the point anymore in working so much, to earn so much money, to spend so much money, to have so little time for family and friends and themselves. You have the slow food movement. We are the slow construction movement. It's a provocation. It's like sabotage to the big machine. We show that we are able to go up against the machines at our little level. But we have an impact. Even though it's small, we have an impact. And we must use it. It's not like I will save the world with my timber frames but at least I do not destroy the world, which is already very good. As the book progresses and the joinery nears the ends of its completion, the work turns from smaller teams to a group effort as the day of raising comes around. It's interesting to note that a week's worth of work 
culminated in only a few hours, literally a morning of raising. I guess that historically this kind of event must have been a community celebration and I can easily envisage the sense of shared experience that would come as the green sprig for good luck is nailed into place atop the structure. I felt a keen sense of loss when reading this. I definitely feel that modern man has lost something extremely important with the passing of this kind of communal construction. On page 203 there's one of my favourite pictures the raised structure with the team crowded into it for a big group photo. Just under 40 people, united by a shared vision of how things could be, enjoying a different way of accomplishing a task from the norm. From that picture it's a hop, skip and jump to the end of the book. At 230 pages and filled with pictures, it's not a difficult or a long read. But I think some elements of it may infect you with a different kind of enthusiasm for quite a while after you've finished reading it. In conclusion, Another Work is Possible is 233 pages long and is written by Joshua Klein. You can find the book at Mortis and Tenon, on their website, and at many good woodworking shops. I get it off their website and sign up for the blog while you're there. As at May 2021, it costs $50 for a 9.5 inch by 11.5 inch hardbound book with a dust cover. If you're curious about the project in question or enjoyed the article about CSF in Mortis and Ten in the magazine itself and you'd like to know more, this is a good book. If you've read Copperthwaite or Ruskin or anyone like that and been disturbed by the comparison of their ideals to today's culture, I'd recommend the book for you. It's hard to classify, but I'm giving the book a 7 out of 10 in the category philosophy. So that's it for now, woodworms. And remember, go build a house with an axe. And keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favourite book you'd like to suggest or one that you're considering buying that you'd like me to talk about on a future episode, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes. 